0: Smells jesus And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, the podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're finishing our series, Following and Sharing the Way of Jesus. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 52. Invest your life in the future of Jesus. Here's Matt it's very standard advice it's very standard advice that you need to invest your life according to the future Uh, and so jesus says that and we're going to see that in the bible passage uh, but jesus jesus is extra edgy because he claims to have unique knowledge of the future because he claims to have a unique role in the future Uh, and so uh, really the point of the passage today is to invest your life according to the future of jesus Um, the the passage that we're we're looking at is the last. We've been working through Matthew chapters 10 to 13 for the last three months. Uh, If if you're visiting today, you've come at a good time because this one kind of sums up uh, the whole point of everything we've been looking at. Um, uh, Yeah, and it's going to be very clear, I think, that 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 advice to invest your life according to the future, that's, that's not... We, we may struggle to do that, but it's not controversial to say that, right? I'd prefer not to have my life shortened by heart disease in the future, so this week I went and had a check-up with my GP, right? Just because that's what you've got to do. Um, uh, if you, you know... Oh, sorry, I started... I myself started some some very part-time study a few years ago, and I th- this week or the last week I had uh, some email uh, with the uh, the college to let me know that if I, if I want to actually finish a degree... I need to get it finished by the end of uh, 2020, which is next year, um, or else the first units I did will start... What's it called? Dropping off the... You know, they don't count anymore. So, if I want to wear clean clothes next week, then between now and then, I need to do some laundry, or buy new clothes, or spend the week naked, whatever. But I need to act now on the basis of what's going to happen in the future. So, so that, that part's sort of not controversial, though it's sometimes hard to do. And uh, really, what is going to be most challenging about this is what Jesus is claiming about himself. So, uh, let me show you that. Uh, there's basically three things I think I want you to notice in this passage. Um, firstly, the leadership of Jesus starts small but ends big. Secondly, uh, Jesus says that at the end of the age, evil will be done away with and good will be revealed. And uh, so thirdly, Jesus is saying, it's worth giving up everything for the hidden value of him. So uh, let's uh, dive in. Uh, So verses, uh, we're going to jump around a bit in this passage, just because Jesus tells stories, and then he kind of gives the interpretation of the analogy. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. It's in a funny order. Very happy to explore that with people at morning tea. But we're just going to pick out the kind of main stories and what they're saying. So firstly, verses 31 to 33. The leadership of Jesus starts small but ends big. Verses 31 to 33, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So, Jesus is saying he's telling these stories to give a kind of analogy, a kind of illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, what's the kingdom of heaven? Well, that idea was less foreign for his original listeners than it is for us. You might know uh, the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught back in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it goes on. But but the opening kind of is about uh, you, the kingdom of God coming. And how does the kingdom of God come? It's about uh, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we don't generally think a lot today, or at least I don't think a lot today, about Australia being part of the English Commonwealth. I just think about being part of the nation of Australia. But technically, we have a queen. We are part of a queendom, right? If we were part of a kingdom, then the kingdom of heaven would make perfect sense to us, right? Just as um, there are a number of European empires in previous centuries that sought to, between them, take over the world, that's that's kind of what kingdoms do. They seek to expand their influence. And so the kingdom of heaven is about God who rules heaven, uh, expanding his influence over the world. So that just as in heaven, uh, his will is obeyed because it's respected and trusted and consciously obeyed, the plan is for God's will to be consciously trusted and therefore obeyed uh, on earth. So that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. And so here Jesus gives two pretty straightforward stories about something that starts small and ends up big. Uh, The first one is about a mustard seed that grows to become a huge tree, which is probably a kind of Jack and the Beanstalk type story. It's probably deliberately exaggerated. And then the second one is uh, still larger than life, but more kind of realistic in terms of having a huge quantity of flour and uh, working, uh, uh, working the raising agent through this whole quantity of flour to bake some enormous quantity of something so both very obviously about something starting small and ending up big and so Jesus is claiming that his leadership starts small but ends big he came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth that is to call people to turn their lives around and recognize God's love and wisdom and so treat each other with love and respect God and uh, the initial I think now that we've got the benefit of 2,000 years of history although it's kind of publicly unpopular, uh, it's pretty easy to recognize that, at least to some extent, uh, there's, there's good evidence of this going according to Jesus' plan, just in terms of Jesus himself. Uh, he was executed in the first century uh, by the Romans. Uh, his uh, you know, followers, the movement he was trying to start, was uh, scattered and um, uh, pushed into hiding. And so it looked like uh, what he was starting was over, But within 300 years, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. His influence started very small, but it ended up very big, not to say anything of how it's traveled around the world since then. Another example would be William Carey. Uh, He moved into India in in 1793 to start the first modern Protestant mission in the non-European world. He uh, drastically underestimated what the cost of living in Serampore would be. And so his first few years there were, at least materially, pretty miserable. However, his eventual impact in sharing the message of Jesus was massive. The historian Hugh Tinker has put it this way. And so in Serampore, on the banks of the River Huli, the principal elements of modern South Asia, the press, the university social consciousness all came to light. That's how he sums up the impact of William Carey. Uh, Another story that uh, you might resonate with is a time in uh, the history of North America in the early 1700s. People were basically sick of religion, sick of religion causing division between people and looking forward to secularism, science and rationalism leading humanity into the future. Sound familiar? Well, uh, in the sort of 1720s and 30s, uh, Christians started re-emphasizing God's grace, humanity's sinfulness, Jesus' death and resurrection to save people. In other words, Christians started emphasizing Christianity again. And uh, those things sparked a revival across America whose impact is still felt today in the shape of politics in the United States, both good and bad. Uh, Jesus' leadership starts small, but it's going to end up big. Importantly, Jesus is saying not just in the lives of individual people or in particular movements in history, Jesus is claiming this is the shape of history as a whole and the end of history. Have a look at verses 36 to 43. So we we read the chapter and we saw the story that he told about uh, somebody... A farmer planting a field, and as well as his crop springing up, there are weeds that spring up. And Jesus said, This is something the kingdom of heaven is like. So, verses 36 to 43, he explains that story. From verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace." In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear." So uh, here is Jesus claiming, in very vivid language, it's sometimes hard to know how much of this is literal and how much is uh, you know, symbolic. But the, message, the basic message is very clear. That is, there's going to be an end of the age. This world as we know it, history as we know it, is going to come to a close. And uh, God is going to uh, step in decisively in history. And particularly, evil is going to be gotten rid of so that all that's left is good. And so that's described in verse 41, where it says, "...the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers." So it's worth noticing here, uh, Jesus says that's what's going to need to be removed from the world... Uh, is all causes of sin, all causes of evil, and all the evil people. Uh, The great problem uh, for this, we've seen in the teaching of Jesus in the last couple of chapters of Matthew's Gospel, is the cause of evil in the world is the hearts of people. All of us. And so that's why Jesus has been showing us how he has come to cleanse people, to change people from the inside out. So that in restoring the world to good, we don't need to be taken out of it. Just the good can be, the bad can be taken out of us to leave the good. But of course, anyone who rejects that and insists on holding on to the evil of selfishness and arrogance and refusing to turn and trust Jesus, well, if God's coming to get rid of evil in the world and you insist on hanging on to evil, you will have to get removed as well. But notice also, Jesus says it's the Son of Man who's going to make this happen. The Son of Man, as we've been seeing, is Jesus' favourite way of referring to himself. Jesus is claiming that he is going to be the one to actually put into practice God's plan to perfect the world. Uh, How does Jesus think he's going to do that? Well, he thinks he's going to do it as you go on and read the rest of Matthew's Gospel, which we're not going to do over the coming months, but you can, of course, at home, he's going to do it by sacrificing himself, by giving himself as a ransom, by uh, God's plan from eternity past of his own people turning against him, having a, you know, trumped-up trial and executing him to get rid of him. And then... On the third day, he'll rise to life again. Uh, Jesus' death uh, doesn't just offer forgiveness and cleansing of sin to us. It also establishes him as the king who is going to come back and install God's kingdom. So it's not only that the leadership of Jesus starts small but ends big. At the end of the age evil will be done away with and good will be revealed. So as he says in the story, right, in the story, the farmer says, let the weeds and the wheat grow together so that you don't damage the crop by pulling out the weeds. There's a sense in which now there is good growing in the world. God's kingdom is growing in the world, but it's, you can't see it clearly, because of all the evil in the world as well. You might have even had that experience in your own heart of not being sure exactly what good is growing there because there is bad there as well. But certainly it's easy to see in the world at large, isn't it? Uh, I read recently about a guy in Africa called Alf Lukau, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I caught a news article that said he was the richest pastor in the world as I'm a pastor, I thought that was interesting. He's got uh, private jets, sports cars, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, On social media, there are videos posted of him apparently raising the dead. Uh, There's lots of discussion about him that seems immensely unhelpful. Uh, I I struggle to see any evidence that he knows Jesus uh, or is actually promoting Jesus' way. There's there's lots of terrible things happening in his and other people's lives in Africa that can distract us from the wonderful things God is doing in Africa. In the last hundred years or so, just to take one example, uh, the number of Christians in Africa has grown from about 8 million to about 500 million. That's a big change. It's gone from about 9% of the population to about 48%. And uh, while some of them are confused and distracted by uh, leaders like Alf Lukau, the ones who aren't don't make it to social media and the news. It's easy for evil to just swamp our attention, and distract it from the good things that are happening in the world. Or what about just the way our Western media works? A friend of mine worked with a Christian public relations organization in Australia a few years ago, and on one particular occasion he was approached by a media outlet and asked to write them something on a particular hot issue that was happening in relation to gay equality. And so my friend wrote a piece, sent to the media outlet as requested, and they responded, thanks very much for, you know, doing the work. Your piece is really good, really insightful, really balanced, but really we're looking for something more oppositional. We're looking for Christians we can report as being obnoxious, and you're not, so we can't report you. There's lots of good things happening in the world, but there are lots of bad things that can get in the way of seeing those things. Well, for all these reasons, Jesus says it's worth giving up everything for the hidden value of Jesus. So verses 44 to 46, he has a couple of little stories that make that point. Here is something of value, and the value's not clear, right? He finds treasure hidden in a field. It does sound like uh, kind of Jesus and pirates, but I'm not sure that's what he has in mind. Anyway, the point is it's hidden, right? There's this field that just looks like an ordinary bit of land that you could maybe farm something on. Maybe it's a bit rocky, I don't know. But there's something of great value buried in the field or hidden in a cave. Who knows how he finds it? Uh, And so there's a hidden value that makes it worth selling everything he has to get that field. Right? And notice the point is not if he invests in this field and works hard and cultivates the land, eventually it will be worth a lot. No, no, it's worth a lot right now, but right now the value is not obvious. Uh, similarly, investing in a pearl of great value. Uh, I don't know how you feel about pearls. I feel like pearls don't look great just sort of lying there. So you've got to get up really close to see a good pearl, and even then, I don't know how to tell. So it's, you know, it's not obvious the value, but they can be very valuable right now. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. There's a tremendous value right now that's hidden, but the value's there. And so it is worth giving up everything else. Ev- nothing else is worth holding you back from having that value. Uh, back in 1956, uh, Jim Elliot and uh, four other men went with their families to try and share the message of Jesus with the Huarani people of Ecuador. Uh, those people hadn't had much contact with the outside world. And so Jim and the others were trying to contact them in a you know, a non-threatening way. Fairly quickly that went bad and uh, Jim and the other four were killed. Well, Jim's wife and a number of others continued to try and make contact with those people and eventually uh, saw people become Christians and started a church and had a massive impact on that tribe, I believe. Uh, Just late last year, uh, John Chow was widely and thoroughly criticised for invading the Sentinelese tribe who live on an island off the coast of India. I don't know if you saw the story in the news, it got a fair bit of coverage, uh, all negative as far as I could see. Uh, Quite a lot of naivety displayed, well, misinformation, let's be generous, uh, in criticising all the things that were wrong with what he was doing, most of which it came out later, uh, was not true. Uh, but um, the thing is, John knew what he was doing. Uh, he uh, was hot, shot on one of the, He had several excursions out there to try and get to the people and make contact with them. He was shot uh, with an arrow and, uh, you know, managed to get back to medical assistance. And after that, he wrote to his parents, uh, it's worth it to, to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry with God or these people if I get killed. I hear someone who's saying people knowing that God loves them and being reconciled to them in Jesus there is nothing more important than that. There's nothing more important than me, nothing more important for me or for you or for anyone else. So there you go. That's a pretty simple summary, but it's pretty confronting, isn't it? It seems to me there's two uh, kind of obstacles to overcome in thinking about the future. Uh, one is it's just so easily to be, easy to be distracted by things in the present that aren't going to make much difference to the future. And that's a problem everybody rec- recognises. But also Jesus is saying the future turns on him. He's saying that his death and resurrection establishes that, and so there's no excuse for not being ready. Uh, For those of us who have turned to trust Jesus, that's a wonderful encouragement, but I hope it also is a great challenge uh, not to be distracted by the present from the future in general or specifically from the future we have in Jesus. Let me pray. uh heavenly father uh thank you that jesus is clear i mean some of the things he says are hard to understand but uh, the basic message that he's coming back and that you're going to renew the world is completely clear so father please help us to take jesus seriously help us to uh, pursue the truth and help us to work at pursuing the future rather than being distracted by things we pray in jesus name amen